Hey guys, real quick, this episode had some sound issues, so I need you to be very forgiving in your ears for this one. It's a little warped. You'll notice it, I think at least a little bit, but I think the content is so good that we want to just put it out there so you guys can enjoy and learn from it. Thank you so much for your kindness about the audio, and I'm an actor, not an audio professional. Okay, love you, bye. Bonus episode of the One Broke Actress podcast. I'm your host, Sam Valentine. Yep, that's right. You heard it. Bonus episode. Listen, sometimes I get so many awesome interviews towards the end of a podcast season, and I don't necessarily have time to air them all in the regular podcast season. So I sat down with Anthony towards the end. We had already recorded our finales, and I thought, wow, this is such a good one. I want to get it out to you guys ASAP. I also think a lot of you are really, really thinking about new agents and managers at this time. It's uh, it's nothing like sitting at home with a lot of free time to think about your reps that really leaves you figuring out what makes you happy, what you're looking for, that kind of thing. So I think this is a very pertinent conversation. Anthony is especially qualified for this, and I will get into that in just a bit. As we finished season six, we got a bunch of new things going on. We had a brand new revamp of the Instagram. You'll notice there's a brand new podcast logo. I'm really, really proud of that. Uh, you can thank Leah Hubner and Julie Logue for making that happen. Also, we have a new website. If you guys haven't seen it, it's super streamlined. It's very beautiful. I'm so proud of it. We're going to have a lot more content on there coming weekly for you. There's videos on the Instagram in August for focusing on mental health. Guys, I am just packing in the content as much as I possibly can. So if you could do me a favor and rate and review this podcast if you have not, and make sure you're following on Instagram because those two things do a lot for the quote-unquote numbers of this. We've had some of our first advertisers this season, which is cool, but I want to do a lot more for you guys. Therefore, hopefully we can garner a little more attention to this podcast. So just shoot us a rate and review. It would mean a lot to me. Just write a couple of sentences. It all happens in the podcast app on your phone. So it's very easy. If you don't know how to do it, you can Google it. I know you can figure it out. And then you should send it to me on Instagram because I would love to see it. Okay, let's get to the podcast. The first thing that impressed me so much about Anthony was one, that he answered my email when I reached out. And two, that he took the time to listen to the podcast and give me his honest opinion about what kind of questions he likes to be asked as an agent. It sounds simple enough, but if you think about how many questions agents are asked on a daily basis, uh, they're all pretty basic. You know, how big is your roster? What do you look for in new clients? That kind of stuff. And we can go so much deeper than that, and so we did that today. Anthony and I really got a chance to discuss what happens after you sign with an agent, what types of meetings he likes to have, and the kind of things that you can be putting together about yourself now. We talk about your personal story, who you are and not your type, which I thought was awesome. We also talk about we also talked about what it is like to be removed from a roster, how not about you it actually is, and the types of things he likes to see actors work on and develop. We also talk about why DDO is different, what they're doing with their theatrical division, and how he has built it up to where it is now. I am super impressed with Anthony, and I am so glad that I know him. So, you guys, without further ado, please enjoy Anthony Boyer. 
Anthony Boyer, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I will have given you a little instruction before this, but introduce yourself to our Mostly Actor listeners. My name is Anthony Boyer. I'm the head of the theatrical department at DDO Artists Agency. I work in the Los Angeles office. DDO does have offices also in New York and Chicago. Awesome. So why, this is such a big question, but why are you an agent? Man, it's a good question, and it's one that I don't really know the answer to. Okay, good, uh, good start. So I started my life as a musician. My degrees in music theory and composition. I toured the world as a conductor and as a music director. I lived in New York. I did the, you know, I was doing the Broadway thing, or I was trying to do the Broadway thing. Wow. And after a few years, I came to realize but I really didn't love it. I really didn't even like it very much. I just happened to be very good at it. And um, I was miserable, to be honest with you. I was living in New York. I didn't like living in New York. I didn't really like the hustle of the job. And I moved west without a whole heck of a lot of a plan. Um, so I hit San Diego first for two years, kind of did nothing there. And then over time, enough of my friends from New York had moved to Los Angeles and were sort of cheering me to come up. So I did, and I would do a little bit of production here and there, just kind of helping friends out, but I needed a job job. And uh, in, I think it was Craigslist. It might've been entertainment careers, but I think maybe it was even Craigslist. There was a job at a talent agency. And I learned that I really liked the world. It was a lot of what I liked about music, which was uh, sort of helping put people in the best position to look and sound their best and help connecting them with you know, people who could hire them but it took a lot of the stuff off that I didn't like, the constant looking for work, um, the, the just the, the never really knowing where your next paycheck was gonna come from. Mm -hmm. So once I was in the world, I really kind of dug it and I was looking for something full time and a friend of mine who uh, at the time was at William Morris uh, asked me if I was looking for an assistant job because the agency he used to work for needed one. Uh, I went and met with them, and they also, one of the agents at that place, it was a place called Stage 9 Talent, one of the agents was also a former music director, so we hit it off immediately. I worked for them as an assistant for four years, and then okay. as I started to kind of, I was kind of running the place by the end, it was two older women, and I was, I had booked their first three series regulars in company history within the same pilot season, so. Um, uh, what a pilot so, season. Yeah, yeah. So I was looking to uh, to go somewhere else. I was looking to, to sell my wares, and it so happened that around the same time they were looking to sell the business. Um, so DDO came along, they were looking to add a theatrical department in Los Angeles, they did not previously have one. And a love match was made through through someone who knew both the sets of owners. And so basically DDO bought me and uh, mm. gave me basically free reign to build my own department. I slashed, I think 75% of the roster in the first week and started from scratch. And that was November 11th, 2013. So we're we're coming up on seven years into this thing and we're we're doing pretty well. Wow. Okay, let's talk about that. I have some questions. Yeah. Uh, with actors, we okay, great. <laughs> As actors, we always talk about choosing our agents. So, how does an uh, obviously you kind of followed like one line from one thing to the next, but how does an agent choose their agency? Was there like criteria of things you were looking for, or like uh, like a community you wanted to get involved in, or something like that? 
What I really loved about stage nine that I was able to bring with me to DDO was um, a love of and, and a utility in theater, something that most agencies in Los Angeles just don't really have much knowledge of, don't have any interest in, in participating in. We have a very strong New York office that's very active in theater. Uh, we have a, a Drama Desk nominee right now. Um, it's something that that was very important to me to be able to kind of continue to work in that world without having to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. So, and that's something that's still true today. Not all of my clients, I, I don't have all of my clients for theater and I don't have all of my clients for TV and film. Some are just one or the other, but we had 13 people before COVID either on Broadway or in national tours. We had <sighs> one of the Elsa's in Frozen. We had two of the Hamiltons. Um, I mean, playing the role of Alexander Hamilton. We had the Anita in West Side Story on the on Broadway. So we had some really great things happening. And again, that's that was really important to me. I'd say the other thing that's really great, and it wasn't necessarily I knew something when I quote unquote picked the agency, but um, it has really worked out that we all, the agent in New York, Irene Cabetta, and I kind of started our departments at the same time. And then we have a youth department, Laura Thede, uh, kind of started her department at the same time. So theatrically, we all kind of started at the same time and we've all been able to scale really well together and to kind of keep each other sort of informed and to really collaborate and to watch out for each other's clients and really do things that I don't think are possible in larger agencies necessarily. Um, and so that's been really, it's been really great to be a part of too. That's cool to know. I feel like we don't hear that side of the story very often about the inner yeah, it can get very territorial. When I first started, the, the agent in New York at the time, he'd been there a very long time. He's very effective, a very good agent. I have nothing against him personally. But when I started to get appointments for my clients in New, for New York theater, you know, and casting directors are doing their best, but sometimes, you know, someone's going to get someone else's appointment. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he would get very, like, defensive and very weird about it. So it's been really great uh, once Irene sort of started her department to really have someone that we're on the same page and we're able to kind of watch out for each other. I want to go back to when you started with DDO and you had come in, you'd been with your previous company and then before that with the uh, first one from Craigslist, you said, yeah. and then you came in and you, <laughs> you slashed the roster to use your terms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how you make those choices because this is a lot of actors biggest fear is this slash. Yeah, well, so that slash was sort of its own thing. I was starting a new department, and a lot of the people that had been in the department at that point were friends of the old owners. They were sort of hobbyists. Like, they were not necessarily working actors. Mm -hmm. So that was actually pretty easy. We actually just kind of had to go through this a couple of weeks ago, though, where mm -hmm. we had to drop something like 40 clients because we lost one of our agents left the business. So um, in order to sort of scale our department, so that no one was overwhelmed or spread too thin. We had to drop a bunch of people. And, you know, sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's someone where you're, you're just putting more work into them than you're getting back. You're not really getting the results you want. Um, but nine times out of 10, it's honestly such a difficult choice. It's such a difficult decision because we have to, I make an obligation to my clients. If you're on my roster, it means I'm working very hard for you. And I'm giving you everything I have. And if I hit a point where someone is taking more resources 
away from another client uh, that I can't give to everybody. I have to drop one of them. Um, so it becomes very difficult. So, you know, there's no great answer as to like what gets you on that list because nine times out of 10, there's no one reason. There's no like, oh, she's not a very good actor and she shouldn't have been on my list to begin with. Or, yeah. you know, he's not booking. But I don't like to bail on actors either. Like, and generally speaking, when I sign on with someone, we know that there's, we know if there's going to be sort of a process where it's just like, okay, this might be a slower burn. You know, I had, I've had clients who we've worked together for three years where they've made no money and then they book a series, but it's all, we're all sort of moving forward at a pace. And I think what happens is when you're not necessarily at the pace that we need you to be at, we're willing to work with that. But at some point the resources sort of die out and I, I sort of, the go-to expressions, we don't have the bandwidth, but what that basically means is like, I've got a finite amount of time in the day. I've got a finite amount of energy in the day. And I really have to be careful who that goes to and what that goes to. And there's tremendous pressure on me from my bosses to, to be making money up and down the roster, or at least to be, you know, to be able to point at uh, some reason why this person maybe not making money yet, but we're mm -hmm. on some sort of path on some sort of, some sort of plan. So there are a lot of pressures, a lot of, a lot of reasons why it might happen, but it's usually nothing, almost, almost never anything personal. And you'll know if it's personal because that's when it's what I call a rage drop. <laughs> that's always, that's, that's in the moment and you know that's happening. God, that sounds like something that would be a mutual decision. Yeah, usually. Usually, usually yeah. no one knows they're coming. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I think a lot of actors are, there's a, it doesn't feel like it happens as much anymore, but it feels as though there is a constant concern of the, the rep turnaround, right? Of, of, you know, finding someone, working with them, uh, switching it over to someone new, the drop, the change, whatever. Yeah. Um, if you felt as though someone on your roster wasn't necessarily uh, uh, applying themselves fully, do you like to have like conversations? Like what does that look like in terms of, especially cause our audience is very uh, 20 to 35 age, mm -hmm. um, somewhat new to mid-level in the acting business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's usually where they sit. We certainly want to fix it. Again, I feel like if I sign you, I, I've made an obligation to you that I'm going to try to get you work. Um, sometimes we have more time than others. Sometimes we just kind of have to cut bait and move on quicker, quicker than we would like in a perfect world. Yeah. We would sit down and we would sort of game plan it. And I think I'm usually able to do that. I would say in probably 75% of cases I'm able to do that. Um, unless there's some sort of extenuating circumstance. And mm -hmm. sometimes that boils down to, we make decisions as a team. I, even though they don't necessarily work with you, my Chicago office is involved. My New York office is involved. And that's just to keep each other accountable. Yeah. Um, and so we get a lot of input and sometimes it is just someone, you know, I could be fighting for you. I could be saying, no, I really believe in her. But at the end of the day, the other agents are going to be like, listen, she, and this is key. Listen, she's going to be better somewhere else. Because that's the other thing is I never want to feel like I'm holding someone back. Sometimes it really is just going to take a different, a different combination of factors, and and it's gonna that's gonna be what turns the key. So if it's not working on my list, you know maybe it will work on someone else's, and I don't want to keep you from that. And do you think that's more based on relationships, uh, based on where their credit levels are? Maybe I think you know we're we're we've all we've all got pretty we've all got more or less. 
I don't want to say the same relationships, but you know, I've, I've definitely been able to help actors succeed. Other people have definitely been able to help actors succeed. I think if what it boils down to a lot of times is just, there's just some, something about the way I see you, something about the way I pitch you. And I may change it up a hundred times, but there's just something I'm not saying that's going to like open a door, whether that is just a relationship I don't have uh, that someone else does, or whether that's just like someone gets your essence just a little bit more, knows how to sell that essence a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes, and sometimes it's just a freak, but I think nine times out of 10, it is just like some sort of like change of energy and some sort of, and even, you know, I think sometimes what happens is when an agent drops an actor, that lights a fire under the actor too. So I say, I can get you into a lot of rooms once, but you have to be the one who gets in the second time. And so, you know, maybe it's just that extra motivation to prepare or something along those lines that helps too. Yeah. That's really good advice. What, when I first emailed you, you were like, let's do this, but let's not talk basic questions. And I loved your response because it was really thought out. And I was wondering if you could share that with people because a lot of actors, especially right now, are just kind of signing up for online workshops and doing a lot of things that they can just do in a busy work sort of sense. And I know a lot of them are considering new reps and it's just such a weird time. So will you share with me a little bit of what we talked about? Basic, not great, fun questions for agents. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of what I do, and the reason I don't do, I don't do workshops, I don't do a lot of Q&As, I don't do a lot of, of this sort of thing, because I get a lot of the same questions, and to me, they're not, to be honest, is not very good questions. What I mean is, like, people will ask, like, well, what do you look for in an actor? And I just, I don't see how that's helpful to you as an actor, to know what it is that I personally look for. Because one of two things is going to happen, either you're going to try to be that thing and it's not going to be authentic, or you're not that thing and you're not going to like reach out. So I think to me, it's like, and plus there's no answer. What do you look for? Like, sure, we're looking for professionalism. Sure, we're looking for training. Like, but it's not, to me, it just just doesn't get us anywhere, right? I think what a lot of people really want or should want to know is like, what happens once you have the agent? Like, what value can I bring that's sort of beyond what you have now when you're unrepresented or beyond what you have with your current representation. And on the few times, because over quarantine, I have sort of put myself out a little bit more to do a few more Q and A's and things, panels, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of the same sort of things from reps that I imagine must be very frustrating for actors. Um, like Try I me. did a, yeah. <laughs> well, I did a panel for instance with, with, with another agent, I won't name them. And every time there was an Hispanic actor, the question was, do you speak Spanish? Every time that there was an Asian actor, the question was, do you do martial arts? And to me, that's just so like uh, boring, to be honest with you. Like we're trying to build an acting career. We're trying to build something special. And so I think one thing that DDO has done very well that I'm very proud of that maybe most agencies don't do or some agencies don't do is I'm not interested in making you into what the market is looking for. I'm interested in making the market into something that is looking for what you are. So in other words, like how do I sell you? How do I position you? How do we sort of come up with a game plan and a vision? And like, how do we sell that? Even when they don't, maybe don't know initially that that's what they're looking for. So to me, that's much more, I think, empowering for an actor. And so that's a big part of my philosophy too, is like, rather than tell you what I'm looking for, rather than tell you how to submit, rather than tell you, you know, these, 
who were my favorite acting teachers, I would rather empower you. I would rather tell you, you know, who, like, like, I want you to drill down on who you are. I want you to find your voice. I want you to stop asking for permission because a lot of actors are sort of taught to ask for permission, especially women. Actresses, mm-hmm. God bless you. I don't know how you do it, but there's just like this, this mentality of, of you're not allowed to want things or you're not allowed to bring your own unique artistry and your own unique vision. And I think that that's a failing, to be honest with you. I think that there are a lot of bad agents and managers. And I think that a lot of people are sort of chasing an easy dollar and I've just never been satisfied with that for one and two. I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it is a scalable policy. I don't think that you can build a, a strong department or a strong career doing that sort of chasing like, Oh, here, all the co-stars are Chinese. Now I better get some Chinese. Actors. It just seems so pointless. To me. Yeah. It's very um, like short term. Right. And by definition, if you're chasing the market, you're behind. If you're chasing anything, you're behind it. So to me, I would be much rather sort of forcing those conversations and, and, and having like just more in-depth plans and like really yeah. trying to take people somewhere than, like I said, chasing the market and trying to figure out what's hot right now and what, what's, uh, what I need to bulk up. Like we don't use the word type in my department. It is forbidden. We wow. Do not, we, yeah, we do not look at people as types. I mean, there are categories, right? Like, uh-huh. you, you know, there's, there's a, you kind of have to understand that, but we don't, we're not trying to check boxes. We're not trying to have like, okay, well, we've got our ingenue. We've got like, it, to me that again, I'll have 20 of the same thing if I can get them all work. If I feel like I can pick up the phone and pitch all of them, I'll, I'll build an entire department around 25 people who look exactly <laughs> the same. I don't care. You know, yeah. like if they're working, great. You sound almost managerial to me in a way, uh, in the way you like, like to work with and craft your clients. Uh, so what's, is there a difference between what you do and what a lot of managers do for their clients? Cause you sound pretty on top of it. I think that we are a bit more managerial than many agents, but I want to give a lot of credit to my, my, my colleagues who do management. Um, I simply, as much as I love to craft sort of a personal story and as much as I love to like really tailor things to my individual clients, I I don't have the bandwidth to do it to the extent that most of my manager colleagues do. Mm -hmm. Um, And we work really well with managerial partners for that very reason. Like I love to kind of come up with like bullet points that we'd love to hit and like kind of pass that off to the manager and be like, Hey, listen, can you drill down on these? Um, but yeah, we just don't have, we just have, we have a larger roster. We don't, we are working, you know, we are negotiating deals. We are, you know, really sort of um, pitching very hard. So I think when it comes down to development brass tacks and it comes down to like figuring out who those, who, you know, who the, uh, uh, who those acting teachers are figuring out, you know, the, the sequence of the real, like those really very um, needy things that you need to put real time and effort into. <laughs> we're just not able to really do that in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think that we are more managerial than most agents, but certainly not as managerial as most managers. You fit my favorite, um, my favorite metaphor really well, that agents are teachers and managers are parents. And sometimes they have meetings together, but most of the time they do the same jobs in different aspects, but one has very a true. certain job and one's a little more wide. <laughs> yeah, a little more very handling. true. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the manager really they're in charge of the team. Like they put the team together and they kind of have to have some level of oversight and have, not that we don't have a a path in mind, but our path in mind is very much 
is just related to our path, to what mm -hmm. we're doing. And so I think a manager has sort of just a more macro view. And, and so, yeah, and a parent, like a parent, like school is one part of what they do, right? So it's, it's, um, it's definitely, there's definitely more to their job. I want to break down a little more what you talk about with um, when you sign a new client, for example, and making the market fit them, figuring out like what they are working on, where they fit in the world. Uh, talk me through a little bit about that. And you can use an example if you want, or you can go a little broad range, but I'm fascinated by this process. Yeah. So, I mean, no example jumps immediately to mind. Most of my actors sort of fit this in some way or another. But one of the things that I do in a meeting is, let me start that. So one of the first things that I do when I'm in a meeting with a potential client is I really want to drill down on what their vision for their career is. And then we can sort of reverse engineer that. So I need to know, like, even something as basic as like, do you have, do you want to do sitcoms? Do you want to do dramas? Like, what does that look like? What does your ideal career look like? Do you want theater to fit into that? Do you want to have a series where during hiatus you do movies? Like what sort of like, what, vision do you have for your career what speaks to you what are your what's your mission those sorts of things i think now one you of the must best... you must encounter actors who are like yes sure <laughs> to all yeah. of it. well i honestly i kind of well i when the way that i ask it is that i don't give them it's not a multiple choice right so so basically the way that i'll ask is like what what do you want this all to look like is usually right. the exact phrasing action. What do you ultimately want this all to look like? And I think the more specific, the better in a lot of ways. One of my favorite answers is a client who's currently on my roster and she's brilliant. And uh, her response was, I want them to remake The Office and I want to play the role of Dwight. I feel like I just got an immediate vision of like who she is, what she wants, like exactly, like to me, that's exciting, right? So to me, I can start positioning that in my pitches. I can start like when I have conversations with my casting friends, when I have conversations with my producer friends, when I have conversations with my director friends, I can, I can point to that energy. Like I know how to package that. Um, as opposed to your, your, the idea of like the person who says yes, um, I think that one of the worst things you can show in a meeting with me is a lack of vision uh, or a lack of ambition. Yeah. So I think people for, forget sometimes those are very often coinciding. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so, and that's all part of the empowering process for me is, you know, I, I, I like to work with people that I'm passionate about. I like to work with people that I like. I like to work with people who, you know, have a vision, who have ambition, who want something even honestly beyond acting, like someone who has, you know, what, what's our mission? Like what, story do we want to tell? What do we want to uplift our voice to accomplish? Um, and so that's all really important to me. And so when I go to market, when I go to my buyers, you know, the producers, cast directors, network executives, studio executives, that's what I'm able to sort of like get into. I mean, listen, we all, we all love to say like, oh, listen, she just booked three episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and then she just did Grey's Anatomy and this and that, but we don't always have that. So I need conversation starters. And some agents... I want to back up to where I was saying that some agents want all of their Latin clients to speak Hispanic, you know, to speak Spanish and all of their Asian actors to speak martial arts. And I want to be very clear. I'm not dogging those agents. They are maybe very good at that. That may be how they approach the market. Um, to me, it's just not 
how I do it. I have just more of a storytelling sort of a conversation. I remember one time I was negotiating a deal and um, it was with CBS, I think. And the, no, it was with Warner Brothers. Sorry. So the, the business affairs associate, uh, uh, business affairs guy said to me, he said, my, my bosses really like stories. So tell me a story that ends with your client making $65,000 an episode. And I've really taken that like into my work. That really, that was one of those like aha moments that really affected me. So the way that I approach my pitches is really in trying to figure out your story and your vision. And, you know, we're not going to tell them all of it, but that is sort of how we approach it. So, you know, if I'm pitching you for this today, I'm actually pitching you for 30 things down the road. Also, like it's all about starting the conversation. And then the next time you're right for something, we revisit that conversation and, it's, so it's all building. Um, it was a very roundabout way of saying, like, for me, I think it's all sort of in understanding the, the thing that you can do the best on my roster is really drill down on what your work is and on what your vision is and really coming to understand how to tell your story and really refine your goal. And how much of that do you like actors to have when you initially meet a potential new clients? It's going to vary. I think when you hit people who are mid-career, they tend to have a sort of a better idea of what they're good at, what they like doing. They've been on a few sets. They know what it is to work in multicam. They know what it is to work in daytime. Um, they know what it is to work on films. And so they have an idea of what they like. Um, and they've sort of crafted their vision usually a little bit more. When I meet with, say, someone straight out of like an acting school, you know, a, a BFA out of some whatever showcase, they're not going to have quite the same vision. But I do still want to know what speaks to them. So that might be as basic as I think. Be I'll tell you, Sam. It's impressive to me how many times, and I ask this in every meeting, how many times I will ask, "What are you watching right now?" and get blank stares. Like so many actors don't watch any current television or they'll say like, oh, I just finished binging friends. Like that's something. Right. But like, what, where do we take that? Like, what do you like? Why do you want to do this? And that's, I think, a big question. And maybe that's influenced by my, my music career where it's just like at the end of the day, I hit a point where as soon as I started to struggle, it, it became very clear to me that I didn't really like it. I wasn't really drawn to it. And so I think I'm sort of on the watch for that, too, because I've seen a lot of people burn out and a lot of people lose focus, whereas I think if we know what we're aiming for and we're drawn to that just sort of in a very spiritual way, it helps us a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, can you see me okay? I feel like my internet's a little breaky. Yeah, there's a little lag, but you're good now. It's a little lag. Um, I, I, uh, I remember I also came out of a BFA program from the middle of nowhere many years ago. And uh, they had us do a five-year plan. And I found, and I've been in LA almost 10 years, I found my five-year plan. And it is really funny. And so broad, sure. like the, the range of things I wanted to hit on and wanted to do are, you know, I was going to like take time off from being on a soap opera to film some commercials. And then I was, it just, I assumed that I could just do everything. And I assumed I could do it all at the same time. Right. Within... Are you saying that you were not able to do that? You know, it's weird. It didn't all happen. I didn't take a break from filming my first um, studio feature to do a <laughs> commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very interesting. Yeah, well, and that's, I think, 
also a bit of a failing of the BFA programs. I think that a lot of the four-year programs don't really have a knowledge of the business. That's actually something that I have sort of taken it upon myself to work on a little bit. I've, I've done outreach at a few of the, the Southern California uh, four-year programs awesome. to kind of help do, do master classes and that sort of thing. It's something that I want to drill down on a little bit more moving forward is just in helping them figure that part out. Because I think a lot of what happens, especially this year when we switch to sort of a digital showcase model, is in these meetings, like kids don't even really know what to ask. I say kids, but they're, you know, they're adults, but like graduates don't even really know what even to ask. And that's a big frustration for me too. So when we talk about getting the same questions, like how big is your roster? Like, I don't know what you want to hear. I don't know what those answers mean. Like, I'll tell you, but I've never said a number. And I don't, I wonder what the number would be where someone would be like, Oh, I'm out. Like just stand up and walk out of the meeting. <laughs> like two or 2000. Like where do you draw that line at? Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's in, and, and you know, I think that that's, that they've been told to ask these questions, but they don't have context for the answers. And that's partially in the training, but then also partially like uh, you don't have context until you're in it. So I think we're all, we're all, we're all shooting blanks until we, until we kind of know what we're aiming at. For sure. I remember uh, I'm working with my uh, college program this summer because they're doing a business for acting class. And I'm, I've already okay. gotten some questions that they might ask. Yeah, it's great. It's so they just started reaching out. I think it's going to be really good. But I mean, they asked about headshots and I was like, listen, go get a bunch of headshots. They're going to be really bad and that, until they're good. You have to have really bad yeah, ones to know what the right. good ones are. So just do a bunch of stuff and then they'll get Are they <laughs> here? Are they in Southern California? Oh, no. Missouri State University. Oh, I know Missouri State. Oh, you um, do? Yeah, that's, I do. They usually showcase with CCM, I believe. Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. They started doing that a yeah. couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the, and that's the other problem is, you know, when you're in the middle of the country, what's a headshot photographer? Like, what does that even mean? And, and right. there's no way to really find someone who does that because it's not a job there. So, you know, and I think people think that headshot photography is, they focus on the photography, more on the photography part and less on the headshot part. But the headshot really is an art. <laughs> it's, I mean, until you see the difference between a good one and a bad one, you just really, I feel like it's overexposure to all those things. You start to understand where, where yeah, the differences sure. come from. When you, when you keep up with new clients, so uh, let's say someone comes onto your roster, um, you're super excited, you guys have these meetings, you have a story to tell, things are working out really well. What amount of communication is, works for you in terms of keeping up with someone? Because as an actor, I can speak for myself and I can speak for a lot of others that we are constantly thinking about ourselves and we are constantly thinking about uh, being in touch with our agents and what is too much. And I think that that's really up to the agent to dictate. Um, every agent's going to be a little bit different. For me, I always tell my clients to err on the side of over-communication because I can, I can filter out what is not useful to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think I would much rather get sort I have clients who send me a weekly email. That's usually too much, but I don't mind it. It keeps you sort of in the habit of communicating. The worst thing for me is surprises. I hate surprises. What kind of So, you know, I'm operating under the, well, I'm operating under the assumption that you're available unless you tell me otherwise. I'm operating Uh under the assumption that if you met a producer at a party, um, you're going to tell me about it. I'm operating under the assumption that, you know, if, 
you say, if your resume says you speak Spanish, that you speak Spanish. And so for me, I think what I don't like are surprises because I'm working very hard. I think one thing actors don't necessarily understand sometimes is for every audition you actually get, you actually probably auditioned 20 to 25 times. That was just me pitching. That was me sending your tape. That was me talking, you know, telling your story through. So we're getting, you know, we're getting that all day long. So when we do finally break through, you know, maybe we've gotten five, 10, 15 no's by the time I can annoy a casting director into saying yes, if then you, turns out that you don't actually speak sign language, then we're in a real, we're in a real pickle. So uh, I think that's the big thing is just knowing that like we're operating on the assumption that we're in the loop, that we're sort of up to date. So I know a lot of agents don't like a lot of communication, but I do. I like to know, again, you know, if even if you just saw some, a TV show that you're like, man, I really love this. I would love to be part of this world. I like that. It's usually something actionable I want to know. Mm. I don't necessarily need to know, you know, I read the trades too. So like when actors reach out, like, Hey, they're recasting that one. I'm like, no, I know. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would rather they do that than not send an email that is important. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I would, I would just rather get the email and, you know, I'll respond when it's relevant. But uh, that's, I think important to understand is again, that's, and that's part of empowering them to just sort of have a vision and to sort of have, to not apologize for taking up space. So part of that is training too, because I want all of my actors to understand that like their voices are important, their voices are valid. And if someone is going to be annoyed by that, whether it's a producer, whether it's a, a casting director, whether it's me, then, you know, it's, then they're going to be annoyed by that, but that doesn't mean that's not on you. So like say what mm -hmm. you need to say. And if I've got an issue, then I've got an issue. Great. Okay, great. In terms of right now in, yeah. COVID-19, it is July 13th. Uh, LA just closed some more stuff. Don't know if you saw that a couple hours ago. Woohoo! I did. Um, so what are your thoughts on the current circumstance? Obviously, everything we say is just question mark of what's going to happen in the world. Um, but actors are definitely wondering right now what they should be doing and what is even happening on your guys' end. Yeah, and we are seeing an uptick now of breakdowns. We are working on things. There are, we actually have someone testing tomorrow on a series regular. Congrats. Um, awesome. A lot of it is, thank you. A lot of it is out of state production. Atlanta, uh, Oklahoma's producing quite a bit right now. Mm -hmm. But some of it is here, and a lot of it is just sort of in preparation. So we're going to be slowly picking up production. I think until Labor Day, we'll be sort of at, some level of normal. It's not really going to be till January that we're anywhere near a hundred percent, I don't think, but there is some level of like increasing production, whether whatever that ends up looking like. As far as like what actors can be working on, I'm, I'm getting this a lot. I made it a point when we hit the shutdown to reach out and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with everyone on my roster and sort of game plan like, okay, how can we best position ourselves so that when this is over, whatever that looks like, um, we're in the best possible place. I think the number one thing is you just got to get through it. You really just kind of, whatever it takes for your mental health, whatever it takes for your emotional strength to get through it. If that means going home and doing nothing for three months, so be it. If that means, you know, being in an online class every day, so be it. 
But the number one thing is you're not beholden to anyone. I, the thing I keep saying is you can be out on the field racking up as many yards as you want and scoring as many touchdowns as you want, but it's halftime. Like, they don't <laughs> count. The victories don't count. Your everyone, your competition isn't lapping you if you take an extra day, you know, playing video games. Like, it's okay to just sit in it and just feel it and just be it. And the other thing is, as actors, you know, you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're not sitting in it, if you're not feeling it, because mm-hmm. your your empaths and your job is to translate feelings to film or to stage and so if you're like distracting yourself in a way where you can't really feel what's happening and access your emotions I think you're doing yourself ultimately a disservice oh I love that so much (laughs) I wrote an article when everything first started happening because everyone and their mom was you know Instagram live and do my live workout and this and that and I was like guys we can do nothing. And also, we've never had yeah. this kind of a time out before where we had permission to actually take a break. Yeah. And I, I felt that, too. I mean, when this all started, I really made a point every day from 9.30 to 6.30. I was sitting at my desk, whether it was my in my office or whether it was at home. I'm still putting on a suit every day. You do. You look um, lovely. Can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing a bow tie, though. I, am, I did decide no tie. Oh, but I like, like the for lapel me, pin, though. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but to me, that's been really a, a big part of getting through this. It's like, I like to stay busy. I like to stay focused. I have a lot of projects that have been kind of back burner projects. But now I think we're hitting a point where it's just like, I think we're all just ready to go. But you're absolutely right, where it's just like, it was okay to take that time. It was okay to, because especially we were just coming out of pilot season. So people who were busy during pilot season, which is not everybody, but people who were like, it was sort of a gift to be able to, you know, unplug for a minute. I went from 16 hour days to, to like sitting at home, you know, with not much happening. So mm-hmm. it was really nice to kind of have that moment to sort of force yourself to unplug a little bit and to sort of pick up a new skill or whatever it was for every individual person. And, you know, when you ask, you know, what can we be doing? I think the number one thing, like I said, is just getting through it. You know, are there things that you that you could be doing? Sure, you could be. I think one thing that's going to be re- more important than ever is going to be the real. I think because everything is moving to digital right now. We've always pitched with tape, and that's very important. But I think it's now more important than ever. So, you know, having like that first the first 20 seconds have got to be your best material. The 20 seconds after that have got to be even better. Like you can't really afford to have bad tape right now. Mm-hmm. So like really, and listen, at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, I pitch with recent self tapes. I don't pitch with like a full on reel. So don't feel like, I know the frustration is, well, how am I supposed to build a tape if no one will hire me or if I can't get my footage from that student film that I did. And so just like sit down and work on your self-tape setup and, you know, get really good tape that you're proud of. Tape a scene from a, from a play, tape a scene from a television series, um, whatever you have access to. And again, that's sort of empowering you because I think a lot of actors have, they feel like they have to sit around and, you know, put in the time on the student films, put in the time on the short films, and then just like cross your fingers and hope that people get you the material on time and hope that it's good and hope that you made it into the final cut. But at the end of the day, like, it's just, 
Meanwhile, we got stuff to do. We're building a career. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in, in waiting for other people. I want, I want you to put, if, if your best work isn't on your reel, put it on a reel. If your best work isn't on tape yet, put it on tape. So I think that's one thing that people can be working on. Um, also just working on what the self tape setup looks like. We were sort of mm -hmm. joking as we were getting ready for this about, you know, when you don't have a permanent space and you have to like break it down between takes and retaping is such a nightmare. And I get that that's, that's the reality for a lot of people. And so I think finding your system and making it repeatable is going to be really huge moving mm -hmm. forward because we're just not going to have in-person auditions for a while. It's just not going to be happening, unfortunately. And I think everyone prefers it that way, or almost everyone prefers it that way. Um, but it's just, it's just the way it is now. There's just no way around it. I saw a lot of actors uh, online who were had the time in quarantine to paint one wall in their house that they are now using for self-tapes, and I loved that. Yes. I thought yeah. that was an awesome no, I love time and space. We're about at time, um, but I wanted to see if there was anything else you wanted to add or say um, advice-wise or just general high, you know, you agents are, are what most actors are most concerned about for some reason, and I think that... I wish they could see you in your amazing purple suit and just feel more comfortable. But <laughs> what would you like to let actors um, know to uh, bring it home? Yeah. So I think the number one thing is understanding that everyone in this industry, for better or worse, who is not an actor, is there in some way to make actors look their best, sound their best, and make sure that as many people as possible see them looking and sounding their best whether that's a gaffer, whether that's a producer, whether that's a casting director, whether that's an agent. And yet this myth has been sort of passed down over the years that actors are sort of at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm -hmm. And I think that's nonsense. I think the number one thing that I would like actors to understand is you're not, you're not, it's not a favor for someone to take a meeting with you. It's not a favor for someone to give you a job or to give you an audition. It's really, I think, important to understand that you have that, that you have power and you shouldn't apologize for that. And you have vision and you are a unique voice and a unique storyteller. And when people sort of put actors down or, or try to exert some sort of power over them or pretend that there's a power structure in play, I think it's really detrimental. And I think the number one thing I would say is don't apologize for taking up space, own it and really refine your vision and figure out what you want to do with your career and find people who will help sort of support that vision. Anthony, that's awesome. That's such a good little sound bite to end on. <laughs> this is so great. Listen, people are going to want to know where to find you. Do you use any public social media? I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Anthony Boyer DDO. Perfect. That's where you guys can find him. And I'll link those in the show notes as well. Um, thank you so much for your time. This was so lovely.